Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So open your Bibles to Psalms chapter 68. Psalms chapter 68. That's right square in the middle of the Bible. Um, several weeks ago, I was walking with a friend of mine. He was an older gentleman, and uh, uh, we were just talking. And as we were walking, he started to share some things that he was wrestling with and some things he was dealing with. And one of the things that he said was that he was incredibly lonely. And he said he, he dealt with it all of his life uh, as a single male in uh, the upper ages of life, loneliness was a reality for him. And as he began to share just some of the things that he, he, was, he, he dealt with, the way people looked at him and, and wondered things and all that, I, it just, it really stuck with me. It, it was one of those things that just kind of hit hard. And then this week on Friday, so just a couple of days ago, I was uh, hungry. Shannon has gone to visit with her folks in Georgia, and so I was alone, and I went to a restaurant, and, and I found a seat, and I sat down, and it hit me. So this is what it's like to eat alone. I mean, I, I normally don't eat alone. I'm almost always around somebody, and very rarely do I have that experience of what it means to, to eat a meal alone. And the strangest thing, I started having these thoughts of, everybody's looking at me. What do I do with my hands? What do I do with my eyes? I don't want to stare at people, but I was curious because I literally, as far as I could tell, was the only person in there without somebody else with me. Just look at my phone. So I scrolled through my phone. Then I started thinking, wait, why do I feel compelled to have to prove to somebody that I'm not lonely? It was a weird feeling. And then almost instantly, God dropped a message in my heart that I believe is for you today. I did a little research, and you know that the most recent surveys tell us that 60, almost 60%, I think 58 is the number, 60% of our culture, when surveyed, says that they feel alone. Folks, that is epidemic proportions. If 60% of our population feels alone, then that means that we have some serious serious brokenness in our culture. So 60% in this room would be everybody in this portion and this portion would fall under 60%. And God brought me to a scripture through my friend several weeks ago that he reminded me of on Friday. And it's Psalm chapter 68, verse 4, 5, and 6. The Bible tells us, sing to the Lord, sing praises to his name. Exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. And celebrate before him. For God in his holy dwelling is a father to the fatherless. He is a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But. The rebellious live 
in a scorched land. It was that verse 8 or verse 6 that caught me. God provides homes for those who are deserted. In another uh, version of the scripture or translation, what you'll find is it would say, He gives, uh, sets the lonely into families. Folks, I want to say to you that loneliness is both a, a reality that, is, that can be temporary or momentary, but it also is chronic for so many people. And you might be surprised to learn that loneliness does not have an age or a condition to it. In other words, you can be lonely if you're alone, and you can be lonely if you're married, and you can be lonely if you're rich, and you can be lonely if you're poor, and you can be lonely if you are in a group of people, and you can be lonely if you're not. Loneliness truly is no respecter of persons. In fact, if you look at these surveys, what you'll find is some of the most lonely people are those who are young. People who are young. People in their teens and even lower. So why would that be? How could, how could we have such an epidemic of loneliness? Well, we want to blame all kinds of things. We want to blame social media. And don't get me wrong, that is a major contributor to loneliness. And there's reasons for that. We want to blame media. We want to blame all, other, all kinds of influence and, and things in our life. But at the end of the day, loneliness is nothing new. Loneliness is something that humans have dealt with for centuries, even since the creation of time. Loneliness is about not recognizing your own value and worth. And loneliness ultimately is wanting somebody else is wanting somebody else to help give you that value and that worth. Now I want to be careful here, because when you say the word lonely, there are all kinds of reasons and situations to be lonely. But at the end of the day, lonely means I don't feel loved. Now you might say, "Oh, that's ooey gooey stuff." Come on, who cares about feelings? Well, the fact is. You feel everything in life. And if you don't feel loved, that's going to affect every single portion of your thinking, every single portion of your body, everything that you do and everywhere that you go. True? Now, I'm not, would never ask you to raise your hand. But if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you right now feel lonely? There is no doubt in my mind many of you would raise your hand. And the funny thing is, although it's not ha-ha funny, it's the peculiar funny, the funny thing is that other people would look and go, I had no idea. I would never have pictured you as lonely. Why is that? Well, I don't really know why. I just know that that's really the way it is. So what do we do with it? What do we, what do, we do with loneliness? How do, we, how do we end it? How do we solve it? The biggest thing that I want you to hear today is this. Here's the overall point. If there was one point, this is it. God sees you. I want you to hear that today. God sees you in your loneliness. And He cares about your loneliness. In Psalm 68, verse 4, 
says, sing to God, sing praises to his name, exalt him who rides on the clouds. Now that word or that phrase rides on the cloud could also mean he, he traverses through the desert or through desert places. The sense that we're getting from this psalm is this, that God pursues those who are lonely. God is looking for those who are not in a family. God is looking for those who are the prisoners. God is looking for those who are hurting. God is looking for those who are broken. What God wants more than what you want is for you to recognize that you are loved. Now, the reason you don't feel loved, if it, I mean, it, it'd be hard to like nail it down into one single tiny thing, but the overarching reason that you don't feel loved is because of the presence of sin in the world. Because sin casts away love. Sin causes people to fear, and I'm not talking necessarily about you sinning, I'm talking about the sin nature of what we got going on in the world. I mean, we've got a world that the sin nature has, has deformed and has moved away from what the image of God has made it to be. And so we have to deal with all of these things through the reality of our own existence in a broken place. And because of that, the world is screaming one thing. God has spoken another thing that is completely different. And we're having trouble knowing who to believe and even trying to hear God over the voices of the world. So what do you do about loneliness? First, you understand that God is looking for the lonely. God is pursuing you more than you are pursuing not being lonely. It's the most amazing thing. Why would God pursue you? And the funny thing, not funny again, I keep using that word, but the thing about it is this. We don't feel like God is pursuing us, but He's actually pursuing us more than we could actually describe or even comprehend and then the question would be, why? Why would God pursue us? Because He loves us. Because He made us. One of the travesties, I think, with religious people is they forget that at the heart of God, everything in His Word is about one thing. It's about redeeming and restoring broken people. Let me just step on a soapbox here for a moment. If you're... If, 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 if a person's religion misses that, they've got a false, empty religion. God is about restoring those who need restoration. God is about bringing people into His grace and into His mercy. Yes, He's a God of justice. It, it's not an either or, but mark this. The fact that God sent His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. The fact that Jesus Himself came and lived and died is evidence that God wants to restore more than He wants to condemn. The Bible tells us that He finds no joy, no satisfaction in the death of the wicked. That tells us that God is not looking just to judge. God will judge because He's just, but what God wants to do is redeem. What God wants to do is for all who are broken and weary and hurting and suffering to be able to come to the altar and say, God, I got nothing I can offer you. I have nothing I can give to you. God, I am a wretch. I am worthless in my own goodness. And all of my, my righteous acts are like filthy rags. And God says, yes, you are the one that I want. I remember going to Haiti one time. 
I think it was Haiti. And I remember we were walking through the streets and, and it, it was one of the dirtiest countries I think I've ever been in my entire life. Trash was everywhere. It was just, it was just nothing but... That. Now, for a germ freak, maybe I exacerbated this thing in my head, but I'm just telling you, it was dirty, dirty, dirty. And I remember walking through the streets and I remember trying to like not touch anyone or anything. And I remember we went to this church and these kids were there and they wanted to... To, to touch me. And I was like, I want to give him one of those you know, side hugs or something. Man, I, I, God was like, who do you think you are? Too clean to hug a child? Didn't you come here in my... I need to settle down. Didn't you come here in my name? Didn't you come here to tell them that I am a God who restores and redeems and you don't want to touch them because they're dirty? God had to chastise me on that. And he broke me. He's like, you know what? It doesn't matter if I get lice. It doesn't matter if I catch a disease. What matters is that the reason that I've came is carried out and fulfilled. For God so loved the world. The first thing we need to understand with loneliness is that God is pursuing the lonely. That is of utmost importance to his heart. He is pursuing the lonely. Listen, the way that you, you flip the script on your own loneliness. Now look, I wish I could give you, this is one of those easy button kinds, right? I wish there was an easy button I could just go, Meh, no more lonely, right? That would be marvelous. That would be the best thing in the world. It's not possible though. So I'm going to give you some things that can help you get out of loneliness and into to, to believing that you're loved and being okay in your own skin, but I can't, I can't tell you that there's a process, and I can't tell you step one, step two, step three. These are just some things that if you'll, if you'll start practicing these in your life, it will help you to work through the loneliness. And listen, it's probably not going to be a lonely, not lonely. It's not going to be a light switch. It's not going to be an instant. You might be like my friend and wrestle with loneliness for your entire life. But these are some things that will help. Number one, understand that God pursues the lonely. The Bible tells us that God is near to the brokenhearted. Just think about that. God is near to the brokenhearted. When you are crying, God is with you. Your tears are not wasted. When you recognize that God is with you. So the second thing I would say is. Verse 4. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. I love this. Sing. When you are lonely. Sing. Now what you sing matters. I'm so blue. No don't sing that. But here's the thing about singing. Singing is so incredibly powerful because singing wraps true, or excuse me, if you do it well and right, singing can wrap truth in emotion. Because what you're dealing with is an emotion and with truth. It's not one or the other. You're dealing with an emotion issue and you're dealing with a truth issue. So wrap them together in a song. Now, what I love about this is that songs have a way of bringing things out of our soul that we could never just speak. Writing has that way as well. 
One of the cool things about music is that your emotions are tied to them. For instance, you know what love was meant to be. The kind of, right? Anybody have feelings from that? Right? I'm almost convinced that Chicago is like the master of writing songs that connect you to a period of time in your life. Am I right or am I right? How many times have you heard a song come on the radio and just, just the first note or two just brought you back to a time and a place where you experienced that time and that place again? It could be great sorrow. Because that song came on and it was linked to an event that was sorrowful. It could be a joyful time. It could be anything. But music has that way of doing that. Listen, I think it's no accident that God says, I am pursuing the lonely. Sing to me. But what are you singing? You were singing to God, singing praises to His name. God's name defines who he is. It doesn't define. It describes who He is. Do you know in Scripture we have well over a hundred names that God has revealed Himself as? It's a fascinating study to go through Scripture and see who He's revealed Himself as. He is the God who heals. He is the God who saves. He is the God who rescues. He is the God who hears us. He is the God who sees us. And on and on and on. He is Jehovah Jireh. God our provider. Right? He's God our banner. One of the really cool things about this is that the very next part says, His name is the Lord. Now, the Lord, notice that it is a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's Jehovah. He's the Lord. What that means is he's an all-inclusive, all-encompassing Savior. Inclusive meaning he covers every need in your life perfectly and completely. The name, his name is the Lord. Listen, when you find yourself in in the pit of loneliness, singing is a good place to start. Now again, it won't necessarily fix everything, but it's a, good, it's a good way of turning your attention. Because here's what happens with loneliness. Loneliness begets loneliness. And loneliness has a way of causing us to swirl like a toilet bowl. It's a terrible example, but it's true. When you push that flusher, the toilet starts to swirl, right? And it just goes faster and faster. I'm, not, I'm just talking about the process of flushing. Y'all use your mat. I'm just saying... When we are lonely, it is that death spiral into loneliness. Am I right? And we start to see things using confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the way that you will see things through a lens of what you think is actually going on. So you will confirm your own bias through what you see. And it just gets heightened time after time after time again. So a lonely person is hypersensitive to everything people say. And they're not looking for what people really say. They're presuming what people actually are saying. It goes like this. Somebody says, hey, you want to go to lunch with me? No, I'm good. So, so I'm lonely, but somebody says, hey, you want to go to lunch? I'm going to say, no, I'm good. Why? Because I think that they're only asking me out of pity. I think that they're only asking me because they feel sorry for me. They don't really love me. They just want to do their good deed. Or 
I say no because I want to hear him ask me again. But you know what happens with that? Over here, the person who asks says, well, I, I don't know what else to do. I've, I've tried to be kind. I've tried to, pay t- I've tried to call, and you, you, they just keep ignoring me. I guess they don't want to talk to me. Do you see? You want to know who, who does that? You want to know what's in the very center of that? The father of that kind of thinking is the father of lies, Satan himself. Because he's a truth stealer. He wants to lie and steal and kill and destroy. That's what he does. But when you are singing to the Lord, when you know who God is, when you're actually crying out to him, God, help me in my loneliness. By the way, I I think sometimes sing praises to his name misses the fact that that doesn't just mean that we are singing happy things. Sometimes we're singing laments. Guys, lamenting is being honest with where your heart actually is. You say, well, how can that be praising God if I'm lamenting? Because you're being honest with God. You're praising God by acknowledging that He is the God who sees you. He is the God who hears you. And your laments reach to the heavens, and it has a way of getting it out so that God can say... Now let me show you a few things. I never cease to be amazed at how God has just the right answer, just the right word, at just the right time. I, 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 I hope I can share it. I've heard, it's funny how I'll hear, I'll hear negative news about me. Right? Somebody will tell me something negative. And literally within an hour, somebody will text me the exact opposite. Or somebody will tell me something positive, and an hour or two later, I hear the exact opposite that's negative. And I always say to myself, how does that work? How do you do that? Here's what I think. I think it's God. I think it's God saying, look, I want you to understand that you and your humanity are going to get some things right, you're going to get some things wrong, but I see you, and I know you, and I'm with you. And so sing to the Lord, that's a really good way to go. Sing praises to His name, recognize who He actually is. We're actually taking our focus off of us and putting it onto Him. And then we know through verse 5 and 6 the kind of people that God is pursuing. And all of these people are lonely people. He is the, he, God in His holy dwelling is a father to the fatherless. He's a champion of widows. He provides homes for those who are deserted and He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. What a God. So if you find yourself lonely, I want you to know that you are not strange. You are not messed up. I mean, we're all messed up a little, but I want you to find yourselves in good company. Not only are 60% of the people, according to the survey in this room, in the same spot that you're in, but also you're in good company with the saints of old and with Jesus himself. Turn, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we have the story of the prophet Elijah. Now, you have to know the backstory of Elijah in order to really fully grasp What's going on here? Okay? So the backstory, the few chapters before this, Elijah 
is a prophet of God and he's speaking to the nations. And he declares, no more rain. And the, the heavens dry up. Now just think about that for a moment. Elijah is walking with God in such a way that he spoke dryness. He spoke drought and God listened and did it. Now this is a man who knows the voice of God, right? So for three years there's no rain. And after that story starts, he goes and he finds a widow who has a son... And she's making the last meal for them. They're going to eat it and then die. And Elijah says, make me some bread. And the widow's like, well, I guess we're going to die anyway, so I might as well give the man of God our last piece of bread. And the next morning she comes over and she looks in her jar and there was oil and other jar. There was flour and she thought, that's weird. I used all of this yesterday. And the next day she went back to the, to the same place in her kitchen. She says, huh, there's oil and there's, there's flour. And the next day and the next day and the next day. And every single day God refilled the jars. And so in the midst of this, 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 this time of amazing uh, um, understanding of God's provision, of the way that God hears prayers, the way that God controls the heavens and the earth, you would think that Elijah would never be lonely. But wait, there's more. The, the scene is, is climaxed here in the, the chapter before where Elijah says, enough of this wavering between gods. Either your God is God or my God is God. He says, so meet me on the sticky mountain, Mount Carmel. You're welcome. Thank you. God bless you. <laughs> You know, in my head, that was way, I laughed so hard at that, you wouldn't even believe how funny that was. You're never going to read that verse again without thinking of a sticky mountain, though, aren't you? So I really did win. So he, go, he says, meet me on top of the mountain. And he gets up there and he says, look, since there are almost 800 of you and there's one of me, you get to go first. Here's what we'll do. We're wavering, you're wavering between gods. I'm not. I'm convinced in who my God is. But since you're wavering between gods... You go first. You make, a sac- you make an altar, put a sacrifice on it, and you call out to your God to answer by fire. And I'll call out to my God who, to answer by fire, and whosoever God answers is truly the Lord. And so those other prophets were there dancing around the, the sacrifice, and they were even cutting themselves, and they were calling out and crying. All day long they cried, and they, 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 they begged their God to answer by fire. And then Elijah begins to taunt them. I love this about Elijah. If you go back into the original Hebrew, what you'll find is he actually says this. This is the thought. You need to speak louder because maybe your God is on the toilet. No joke. No joke. He's like, your God is in El Baño, right? I mean, he was, he was, he was taunting them. And finally he says, enough. This is foolishness. He busts their altar down and he makes his own altar, puts a bull on top of it. And then he tells me, he says, dig a moat around it. Go get water and fill it. Put the, put the water on top of the sacrifice. Do it again, do it again. He drenched the sacrifice so it was dripping wet with water. It would have been waterlogged. And then Elijah stood before the people and he said, So that you will know that there is only one true God. 
He called out to heaven and got answered by fire. Wouldn't you like to have been there for that? I think that maybe even some eyebrows were singed on that one. Boom! And so what you had was this amazing show of God's presence in their life. And the very next scene, you had a woman who said, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. And so Elijah ran. And he found a tree and he sat under it and he began to sulk. You want to talk about alone? His words in, in 1 Kings 19, verses 12 and or verse 13, um, 13 and 14, he said, When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face. This man went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of the armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they're looking to kill me too. You had a man who was terribly alone. But here's what I don't want you to miss, okay? When the greatest... Heroes of the faith find themselves alone. They can also get in that circling spiral of confirming everything through their own bias. Had Elijah started singing, I think, the, I think there would have been a different ending to this story. We don't know that. We're presuming that. But he was done. He had enough. In fact... God spoke to him twice in both times. Elijah couldn't hear the voice of God. All he could hear was, I'm so alone, I'm so alone, I'm tired, I'm done, no more. And that was the point at which his ministry was traded to Elisha. But I don't want you to miss something here too. We have trouble being alone. I think that a lot of our own loneliness is a result of our inability to actually be alone. I'm talking about the need for never-ending noise in our life. Jesus, in, in uh, Matthew, I think it's chapter 5, he said, the scripture tells us that Jesus regularly got by himself. He went to lonely places to pray. In other words, he intentionally turned it all off, got by himself, and was with his own thoughts. And that's it. But folks, we have a culture that we do everything we can to not be alone. We are always with friends or trying to be with friends. We've always got the TV on. We've always got the radio on. We've always got iPods in. We've always got the YouTube on. We've always got somebody that's speaking something. And what it's doing is it's causing us to be afraid of our own thoughts. Can I get a witness in here? Listen, it really is not serving you well to always have noise in your life. It is not serving you well to always be around people. Jesus himself went to lonely places to commune with his Father. And here's why I want to tell you that. When God answered Elijah, when Elijah cried out to him, if you go up just a few verses... Verse 11, then God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing through the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. Think about that. 
this monstrous wind was tearing through the mountains, so much so that Elijah would have had to brace himself up against the wall somehow. And it was shattering cliffs, means, meaning, meaning rocks were busting out of the side of the mountain, right? He says that after that, an earthquake, or, or excuse me, um, uh, after the wind, there was an earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. Three destructive things in nature. Wind, earth, and fire. Hmm. That's number two. You're welcome. Okay, earth, wind, and fire. Now does it make sense? Three destructive things. But listen, don't miss this. It says, after the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. In other words, the Lord was not in all the noise. See, we expect God to be in all the noise. He's not in all the noise. He's in the still, quiet voice. The very next verse says, that after the fire there was a voice, a soft, How can you hear God if you always have white noise? How can you hear God if you always have people around? You know, one of the things I've learned in ministry is that I would love to be the answer to everybody's problem. And I used to try to be the answer to everybody's problem. And then I realized that when I was the answer to everybody's problem, I actually was a substitute for the real answer to everybody's problem. I, wanted to, I could go in and go, hey, just do this, this, and this. Okay, great. Now I have to sit and listen. I have to say, so what do you think about that? So what do you think God is leading you to do? Nine times out of ten, I know exactly what they need to do, but it's not my job to tell them. It's my job to point them to stillness and quietness so they can hear and obey the voice of God. Because it's really not about the thing that God wants them to do. It's about the relationship that God wants to have. That is what is important. So friends, if you do nothing else today... I want you to consider how much stillness and quietness you have in your life. This has become super clear to me in my own life over the last year. I've not spent the quietness that I have spent in years past just because of busyness. And for me, the only quiet, the only truly quiet place is when I have no cell coverage and I have no people. And I have nature that tells me how amazing God is. Because my eyes are seeing and my ears are not being clouded. And what I've discovered that when I am with God in a quiet place, my heart is content. My soul is not in chaos. And things in the world just kind of line up and get right. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I found my place. You, you don't know this, a, a tree stand is what I'm talking about, right? That, that really, truly is my, it's a happy place because it's my meeting God place. I found myself a few weeks ago in a tree stand, and I, and I was able just to get still and quiet before the Lord. And he started dropping his word into my heart, and it just revived me in a way that I can't even describe. But folks, I want to tell you, God is the father to the fatherless. So many of you are trying to find that father or whatever that might be in your life. What you really need to do is sit back, find a lonely place, and be still before the Lord.
And you are also not alone. Because not only do we have multiple people in Scripture who felt loneliness, we also had the Son of God Himself. In Matthew chapter 26, you can go back and read it later, Jesus grabs three of His disciples and He says, Hey guys, you come with me. And they walk to a place called Gethsemane. It's a, it's a garden in the Mount of Olives. And as they walked there, I suppose Jesus spoke little. And I suppose that He had this weight on Him that was palpable that they could have recognized if they were looking. But when he got to the garden, he told his three, he said, y'all stay here. He didn't say y'all stay here. He said, you guys stay here. He said, pray with me. Why? Because my soul is heavy. He tells them, I am burdened. I am hurting. I've got a weight that is bigger than I I mean, from a human perspective, this is a weight that is bigger than I can carry apart from my Father holding it up on top of me. He goes and he prays and he kneels down and, and we know that through the course of this night, his prayers are so deep and so, so, so gut level that the Bible says he was, he was sweating drops of blood. That was this, this gut-wrenching, pour your soul out to God. And the first time he got up to go check on his disciples, they were snoozing. They were sleeping. He said, hey guys, why are you sleeping? Oh, sorry Jesus, sorry Jesus. He goes back and he comes back again. They're sleeping again. He comes back a third time and they were sleeping again. And, it, and it's almost like he's going, I truly am alone in this. Listen, I don't think Jesus felt loneliness more than two events in his life. One, when he was in the garden. And two, I think, when he was on the cross. The weight of the sin of the world was on his shoulders. You don't think that's lonely from a human perspective? It is incredibly lonely. Especially when you look out and see that all of your disciples have deserted you. Your mama is there, which is good. I mean, everybody needs a mama, but that's kind of different, isn't it? When the guys you poured your life into, they deserted you. That's lonely. i got to be honest with you. There are times in my ministry where I have felt like I was all alone. I felt like nobody got it. Nobody understood. Nobody was with me. I could fall off the face of the earth and nobody would really even care. I've been to those places. Have you? But what pulled me back from that was a recognition that our God is faithful. And I don't live to please you, and you don't live to please me or anybody else. Your value is not because somebody gives you value. Your value is intrinsic. It is something God has placed inside of you when you were created even before you were born. And like Saga said, you're not one in a million. You are one in all of creation that God has made. And what God wants more than even you want is He wants to bring you into a relationship with Himself. So that's the invitation today. Can I invite you into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, some of you already have that. Some of you have trusted Christ and you know that He's there, but 
Like there might be somebody listening today as our musicians come. I just want you to think about in your own heart and your own self. Are you alone because you don't know God? Because you've never been entered into a relationship with him? Here's what the Bible says. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works. You can't earn his love. His love is too big to earn. You also can't, can't uh, run so far that he'll stop loving you. It's impossible. You could stand up now, curse his name, defile him in every possible way, and his love for you simply will not change. However, to be made right with God is a relationship with his son Jesus. It's by grace you're saved through faith, not of your works, but it's God's grace given to you, received by faith. So this morning, if you've never trusted Christ Jesus, I want to invite you to trust Him completely. I'm thinking of a song, um, old song. kind of goes like this. So many souls have tested Him. Throughout the course of time, so many still reach out to him with broken hearts and minds. And every one of them will say, without exception, that they find that Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. You might as well get thee behind me, Satan. You cannot prevail because Jesus never fails. He never does. He never does. He really is the answer. Will you turn to Him? Father, I pray that this morning, in all of Your goodness, with all of the hope that Your Word provides to us, God, with all of the confidence that we could possibly have, knowing that You who started a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. But Father, let us not forget the very last part of verse 8. Of Psalm 68. But the rebellious. God if we reject so great a salvation. Then we are condemned to pay the price and the penalty of our sin. With our own life. So Father I pray that in this moment. You would draw us unto yourself. Help us to relinquish our foolish pride. To lay down our armor, to, to stop trying to figure things out on our own. And God, I pray that we would call unto you, our God, who is truly God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me? We're going to have a time of invitation. And here's the invitation. You see up here there are two tables and on each table there are two trays. One is gluten free, the other one is regular. And it has this cup here. Now normally I want us to do communion together.
as the body. But just for today, I want it to be you and God. So as, as the music's playing throughout this, I'm going to ask you to come up and grab one of these cups and then find yourself a quiet place in here. Maybe it's at your seat. Maybe it's here. Maybe it's in the corner. Wherever you can go to just, just you and God. And for just a few moments, I want you to just talk to Him. Or just pour out your heart to Him. And then as you do that, I want you to take the bread, which is on the bottom. And I want you to say, Jesus, your body was broken to give me hope. Then on the top, I want you to say, Jesus, your blood was spilled so that mine wouldn't have to be. You took my place and made me right through Jesus Christ. Take a moment. Come and go as you need. And then we'll close here in a few moments. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'll be glad to do that. Find out more about 